welcome to the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas, with your host, Brian Ray and Josh Shelton. And we're back with the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in to today's episode. This is episode 201, 201. Ryan, it is an interesting uh, market today, man. Just looking at everything, how everything's shaping up. Uh, oil is at 63. Life is looking good out in the Permian right now. How are things looking on your end? I'm just looking forward to getting my third Pfizer vaccine shot next year. So that's kind of my, oh, yeah. the booster. I'm excited about that. I'm excited yeah. about that. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's good, man. No, it's, it's, you know, it's, I think if you are sitting here right now and you're going to you know, oil is at 63, then hard to be in a bad mood about it right mm-hmm. you think the price is overinflated i get stuff off you, you think the price is a little high it's hard to be in a bad mood about it um so we shall see how things proceed but right now it is good and with summer driving season coming up assuming we don't put too many rigs out there it should stay relatively high or relatively you know at this at this range yeah, so uh, there was an article that came out. This was on the 19th, so this came out today on Heart Energy, and it mentions that oil prices slip as rising COVID-19 cases spark demand concerns. Uh, I wonder how um, how nervous some of these producers are anytime they see a spike in COVID. Like, what are we going to do? What are they going to say? Uh, what's going to happen to the prices? What's going to happen to the demand? Are they going to shut down again? I bet you the people are just uh, on high alert. Uh, so anytime something happens, because I, I went and looked at the prices, I didn't see much of a slip. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, what seventeen cents, three percent, point point three percent. You know, I mean, it's like that's the problem with these headlines. It's like you know, the price is down seventeen cents. It's like okay, what's well, down? But seventeen it's cents. Not, it's not much. Yeah, it's not but, much. It, but there was some stuff they were talking about. Uh, there was um, someone was, was talking about shutting down again because of a new strain, which it seems like that's the same story we said like 18 times. But there's right. one that's recent. And anytime something like that happens, these producers, are, they have to be at least concerned. So it makes sense that Hard Energy is trying to feed off of that. By, um, I mean, I think I'm, I'm curious. So I think right now, if you're sitting out there and you're a producer, the biggest fears from your perspective have to be. The if you're okay, so if you have federal lands, right, permits, like if you have a bunch of acreage in the federal lands, like that would be number one. If you don't have a bunch of federal land stuff, I think okay, you're okay right now because I don't, I can't imagine a scenario in which the U.S. goes back into lockdown right now. It it seems that that is, yeah, yeah, that seems that's my thoughts too, yeah, right, Texas, yeah, so okay. So you would see that number one might be, and I'm not putting these necessarily in in order, just just off top of my head. So one might be. Um, if you have an overabundant amount of acreage on federal lands, you're worried that Biden might do something with that. So you have that. Um, the other one might be is that OPEC, um, you know, changes their mind and they put more barrels on the market. And then the third would be is that the U.S. Produ- the U.S. producers do keep ramping up production, and next thing you know, we just drill the price back down. Those would seem to be the biggest threats to the market right now. I mean, I think you look at the ESG stuff, the methane, the flaring, all that stuff. I think that's a little bit further down the road. But where we're at today, I think those are the real threats. The COVID case is going up. I mean, I was listening to um, you know Fauci the other day talking about where we need to be before he's going to recommend not having masks and stuff. And it's like, okay, well, that, that's something I'm curious about, but I don't think that that's really having um, 
I think the I think demand is not going to dip. So wherever it is right now, it's not going to dip significantly. It's probably only going to go up over over the course of the summer. So I think you know it's those other factors you have to have to be worried about now. If these new variants come in and you know the the, the case the ICU cases and stuff start going up, then, then then we could change that. But even then, it would have to be pretty bad, I think, to see the uh, the U.S. shut back down again. It would seem. Yeah, well, U.S. is the big player. I, I want, I'm, I'm curious about China. I know that they had some record um, GDP numbers, uh, so that that was good news. It's good to see them ramping back up. It looks like their economy is in a position to increase, you know, fossil fuel usage, energy usage in general. I think uh, that you know the LNG deals. A lot of those were were contingent on China. You know, they they were the the pivotal um, country that was basically the demand that we were trying to bring that supply to. So, um, so it's good. I, I think that gives some opportunity to LNG. Hopefully those projects can start moving forward. I'm curious about India, um, but I, I don't know what their GDP numbers are looking like, but I, I mean, what was China's? It was like, it was ridiculous. I mean, wasn't it like 16% yeah, I mean, or something like that? Yeah. It, yeah. It depends on, yeah. The problem with China's number, China numbers are, is, you know, how much do you trust them? So, you know, I, I think I think that I think the numbers are are, are are good, but the other thing to remember about China's economy and their GDP growth, and so like for instance, you know, our GDP growth this year, year over year at the end of the year, could be pretty high. But compared to last year, we had no economy, right? So Oh yeah, so the percentage, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's a little bit tricky. So you know, China was able to get double digit GDP growth for a long period of time, but their economy wasn't that wasn't that large. Um and so or at least the way that it's been measured. And so um, yeah, so you have, to, you have to kind of watch out for that. I think, um, as you talk about the China stuff, the, the thing that I found interesting is, you know, the U S and China, and I haven't got to read all the stories. I know John Kerry was over there, but it says, um, you know, they agreed to they're, they're, the U S and the Chinese are agreeing to cooperate to curb climate change with urgency. It's like, Oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. So yeah, does that, LNG that, count for that or not? What's that? Does LNG count for that or not? Uh, depends on depends on, depends on the day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it's one of those things where this is when you talk about you know bipartisan support, right? So people say, "Oh, it's got bipartisan support." It's a really good thing. Well, okay, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. You know, just because the Republicans and the Democrats agree on something doesn't mean it's a good thing. And so the same thing here, just because the U.S. and the Chinese agree on something. Uh, agree to work together on something doesn't mean that 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 they're going to handle it in a good way or it's going to have a good outcome or something like that. So, a little bit concerned that you know to curb climate change, we're working with the Chinese um, because the way that they're going to go about it. You know, I don't want us to deploy those same methods. No, uh, uh-uh. yeah, I I was thinking the same thing. You know, I beat the dead horse, but uh, I think a lot of the a lot of countries have started deploying those methods <laughs> it's not any fun so uh our good friend david blackman he uh he released a uh, article i believe it was this morning yeah this morning uh and the title of the article is eight key questions texas power providers should be asked at tuesday's hearing so tuesday there's a hearing uh regarding the blackouts and so uh it's gonna be something to watch because I, i've been interested to see are they going to hold these uh you know ERCOT? are they going to be held accountable are these power companies going to be held you know, liable for the the power outages. What are they going to do? So uh, that is going to be in the works, and and I'm 
you know, I'm excited just from a legal standpoint, just to see how they argue these points and see kind of what the outcomes are. You, you saw though, um, like last week, week before, you know, ERCOT was saying that they, they might have to declare an emergency again. For what? I didn't see that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's, that's part of the thing is that, so like right here in this article, there's a tweet he, he's got in here due to a combination of hygiene outages, typical in April and higher than forecasted demand caused by a stalled cold front over Texas. ERCOT may enter emergency conditions. We do not expect customer outages. Declaration of an emergency would allow us access to additional resources. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, you know, I think it's probably just they need, they need to access it. But, you know, it's like, oh, man, because that was like a nice spring day. It's like 65. If I remember correctly. It's like you got to have an emergency for 65 degree weather. Like that's like that's that seems a little bit a little bit over the top there, bub. Yeah. Well, Make sure it's on that day and not when it's 172 degrees outside. Well, that's because the, well, the problem is though, if they need it on the 65 day degree weather, uh, weather then 112, you're in trouble. That's bad news. Yeah, and so yeah, it's something to follow. It's something to put pressure on. And I'll, I'll just keep going back to this. I don't think it's like anything else in life. If they're not responsible to the end user, you're just gonna see keep seeing problems out of them and. Uh, you know, even if they do fix it now, they have to be held accountable by the end user to actually have um, a problem. And, and I'll give you a good example. So I saw over the weekend the Boeing um, 737 Max. That's the one that they had crashed. They do crashes, right? Yeah. Okay. So um, let's see here. Wall Street Journal. Boeing 737 Max electrical problem affects more locations on air aircraft. CNBC. More electrical problems found on Boeing 737, 737 MAX. Now, just a quick timeline. This plane was approved to fly by the FAA. Then they had the crashes. Then we found out that the FAA wasn't really doing their job, and Boeing wasn't really doing its job. And so people died. Now it's back, and now they're saying there's more problems with the plane. Now, I don't know nothing about planes as far as what's going on here, but I'm saying like this, this, this is more of what you see, which is that Things aren't really being done like we're being told on the up and up. Uh, and so then there's problems. And luckily, there have been other plane crashes from the 737 MAX that I've, that I've heard of, at least. Uh, I know there's one a few months ago, but that wasn't a, that wasn't a MAX. That was something else. So anyways, I just, it's just like, okay. So I'm sure, if we're wrong, we'll find out that the FAA and Boeing probably had an inkling this was a problem, and they greenlit it anyways, and luckily no one died. That's what's going with ERGOT. It's the same thing. Is that you know someone somewhere signs off on it, and then you go back and forth to who you blame. Well, there's no one to blame. And that's the thing here. There's no one. You can remove these people. You put you put more in, but no one feels the pain. And so it's, it's just, you know, just how it is. Yeah. So uh, that was one of the things I I, uh, I wanted to ask the guys. He came on that was talking about energy, the energy provider. I uh, forget his name, but he, he kind of went over all kinds of scenarios. And I wanted to ask him the idea of, that, that me and you talked about where if all the people in Texas, if they were able to say, look, it's going to cost us an extra $30 a month in order to winterize these structures for the next four years, we got to pay this extra amount of money. And it was given as an option. Would we want to do it? Uh, you know, if it was going to cost you $500 a year for four years and you had to put up $2,000 to winterize all these structures and you still have to rely on them to do it, would you want to do it or would you rather invest that two grand into, you know, a generator at your house to, to last. So um, I, I wanted to ask him that question and I completely forgot because I, I was curious if that, 
essentially what we're what we're looking at if we're if we're going to make these changes is, is going to the calls are going to be shared to the consumer um and at, at some point you know, I, I wonder if it's if it's worth it or, or i mean if, if we're if, i mean if ERCOT is failing us or if they're thinking about shutting it down in the summer i mean it might be time to really get <laughs> serious about this generator well you know so one thing i thought about since we've had that conversation is we might opt to have the generator, right? We might say, no, we want to have the money for the generator. But, but if you remember the headlines were reading that the total grid collapse was minutes away. Well, if that's true, the generator is no good then because you guys start thinking about it. You're going to have a generator for months, not days, right? Cause they're talking about the, the, the grid, the total grid collapse. You could have it without a grid for you know one, two, three months. So, you know, the gas, the amount of gasoline and diesel take to keep those generators running. There's no, you, know, you have gasoline shortages, right? So all of a sudden you get to a point to where the generator wouldn't even work. So I've thought about that as well, is that even though you might opt out, if enough people opted out, then if you had a total grid collapse that they were fearful they were going to have, then you might uh, you might wish that you would have opted in. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to solve the problem or, you know, I just, I just, I just thought about that. Like, oh, you know, if we all opted out and the grid did collapse, then the generator's, basically useless after about two weeks when we've used all the gasoline up. Yeah, that's a, definitely a valid point. I, th I think they just have to do the, uh, the role in blackouts. I mean, they just got to make sure that they don't allow, I mean, don't allow that to happen, I guess. And at, the, yeah. at that point, then the generator would be, be there. And, and it makes, it makes you, you know, you have to reevaluate sometimes too. I mean, did ERCOT do their job? I mean, if these facilities and stuff shut down, they're, Number one responsibility would be not to allow that, you know, that complete outage, you know, that that would be the that would be the main thing. Number one, just prevent Texas from losing all of its power for three months. That would be right. Um, yeah. So, I mean, and looking at it, you know, they they did do that, you know, at least. By the hair, they're changing chin as the saying goes. But the other yeah. way to look at it is, as you say, well, OK, um, they, they if ERCOT said this or if the power company said this, listen, we are going to implement rolling blackouts when we feel it's necessary to prevent the total grid collapse, which means that we're not responsible for having power to your house. Therefore, if you want to get up, if you want to get a generator, you need to be advised to do so. Now, they're still expensive and you have to save up to get one for most people, but, but at least you know that that's how they're going to handle it. And now we all now we all kind of have that understanding, but. If that's kind of the deal, when you got your power, you moved into your house, like, hey, listen, you know, we're guaranteeing you power. Um, and we you'll never go without power for longer than a week. I don't know, make it up to time kind of thing. But in the event of a crisis, you know, we're gonna do it like this. It's like, so if you want to get a generator, then you, you you should get one. If not, be prepared to deal with power for without a week, you know, whatever it is. I don't know. Yeah. Um, that would at least so so then they could charge for the winterization and also at the same time, they could allow um they could allow um, people to, to know that they, they need to go get a generator. It's more costly, but you know, that's an option too. So we have an article that came out today. No, yesterday. It came out yesterday morning. Oil and gas bankruptcies jump despite rising crude prices. So they're talking about a mini boom that's going on right now where I say a boom. It's, it's just markets are starting to improve. Oil prices are going up. People are getting jobs. Jobs are up. Uh, so in general, we're looking at a much stronger market right now than we were at, obviously, last year. But they're also showing that bankruptcies hit 
the highest for first quarter since 2016. Uh, so as expected, we're seeing a lot of companies that are that are filing for bankruptcy, and um, I mean setting setting some records. So um, what I'm wondering, Ryan, is if there's a lot of people that just aren't necessarily fit to handle this market. You know, with ESG, with some of the guidelines that are there. Um, I know Reed brought a good perspective last week with you know, some of those smaller companies able to thrive in the current mm -hmm. market. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm, I imagine there's a lot that are in that middle space at middle sized companies that kind of don't fit either mold and are probably having a hard time. So uh, we're seeing, we're definitely seeing some bankruptcies uptick right now. Yeah, you have that. And then you also have, um, you know, kind of our old analogy, which is you know, just because you make an A1 test, if you got a bunch of Fs, you're still going to fail, you know, which is yeah. just how life works. So you have that. Um, and so some companies just had a lot of Fs and so they couldn't get out of it or Ds and Cs. And so another thing I, I thought about is, how many of these companies probably could make it? Um, but you know, they're like all these regulations, all this stuff. Um, you know, let's go ahead and get our debt canceled through bankruptcy, restructure, get things going to new. And they're kind of using this as a chance to instead of fight off the fight back, they're kind of using it as a chance to kind of maybe get that maybe get a fresher restart. So it's not surprising. Um, and if the prices hold for the rest of the year. Then maybe we won't see much this next year, but the prices drop back down sub 50 second half of the year or into 2022. Then, um, is, um, then you might see more of that to go. Uh, let's see here. We got a comment. The last year has been an acceptable time for companies to fail. Uh, Cal, I would agree with you, except for the government has bailed out too many of the big companies. <laughs> so if, if the government would build out all the companies, it, it felt like Delta. The, the government decided some companies were, able, were acceptable to fill. Others, it wasn't okay with the billing. But yes, I do agree. It was a it was a brutal year for, for most. Um, and so, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. You, you look through the rest of the year and you think, how much more of this will happen? I don't know. I, we, we can't be at the end of it, though, right? Well, okay, let me rephrase. At some point, you have to go over the hump because there's, there's so many, um, there's so many, um, there's only so many companies that they can't go to bankruptcy, right? So at some point, you, you just you kind of kind of get over the cycle. So, uh, but I think we're still going to see a lot, of, a lot more consolidation too. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. I'm, I'm thinking you're going to see, you know, a lot of. A lot of acquisitions, mergers that are going to start taking place here pretty soon. Um, companies are, are actually having some big wins. Uh, one of the things we're going to talk about here in a little bit, uh, BP. I mean, there are a lot of opportunities for Louisiana right now. They're, I think they struggle on the Gulf. So uh, there's lots of interesting things developing. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. And so... Is our is our guest on? I thought. Well, I uh, yeah, I gotta see him a thing. I think he went to the wrong wrong spot, so I'm gonna send him a, a thing real quick to get him in the right, to get him into the right spot. But anyways, go go so go to the next story. I'll I'll get this to him. Okay, all right. So there's an article that came out from E and E News. Uh, this isn't something that is uh, too interesting, but I at least wanted to mention it. This article covers what a lot of people in the United States are doing right now in response to the uh, climate crisis. Uh, 23 states are introduced industry-backed bills that would preemptively block municipalities from limiting natural gas in buildings. 
there's so there's several things that are coming out with some of this legislation. Uh, the one of them it says climate law passed last month in Massachusetts subsequently subsequently created the possibility for cities to opt into a net zero building code. The details of that will be up to the state's code officials. And then so far, many cities have found it difficult to replicate what cities and towns in California have done. Um, so right now, there are several things that are that are going that are happening across the, the country that are ratcheting up this uh, intensity intensity um, in the resistance to fossil fuels because of their impact on the climate. Um, it's something that we kind of expect uh, to see, but. There, there is growing legislation right now that could put some pressure on companies and may make it hard for all companies to thrive. Um, and, you know, I, I think there are certain states like Texas, hopefully, where that will be safe for years to come. But um, the more these companies and these counties and states do that, the more it's going to affect, I think, uh, potential demand. Uh, there's, uh, you know, they're trying to force these transitions. So uh, it was an interesting, interesting little read, though. Put it in the show notes. I mean, it's kind of gives you a perspective of of how uh, a lot of, especially liberal states, are viewing um, oil and fossil fuels. Right. Okay. Well, there he is. There's a guest. We got, hey, we got now. Sorry about the confusion there. Oh my my! I'm sorry. I was reading the wrong email. Ryan, how are you guys today? Good. Doug? Good. Good. Hey, yeah. Stu. Good morning. Hey, well, it's a little inside baseball here for the listeners. So when our guest comes on, it generates a Zoom link, and that we that's so in case the live stream isn't working, that's already set up, and then we send them the Zoom the the stream yard in the morning. And sometimes there's wires crossed. So uh, apologies about that, Stu. Uh, Stu, why don't you give everyone a quick introduction of yourself so that uh, everyone knows who you are if they don't already? Because you have the what is the greatest. Website in the world, so let them know. Hey, uh, thank you guys. Uh, I just Josh and uh, Ray. I just want to give a shout out to you guys for a job well done on everything you guys do. And uh, so uh, I work with a great team uh, over at uh, Sandstone Energy, and we uh, we cover uh, oil and gas regulations, and we have an absolute wonderful thing going on with the disproportionately impacted communities with databases, oil and gas, and really helping people get to the next level in uh, drilling through the cotton picking uh, regulations. Uh, we also have our media arm, which is the uh, energynewsbeat.com. Uh, We're in the process of migrating it to a bigger server because we've had so much traffic. And we got our own app and uh, just absolutely having a lot of things going on. But uh, Ryan, uh, again, thank you for having me here. It's just outstanding to be part of the group. There you go. All right, Ryan. Yeah, it's on iPhone and Android. Energy News Beat, just type that into the browser. So we were talking before you got on, Stu. I don't know if you were having to catch any of the earlier version. But what we're saying is, we're looking at the risk for oil and gas companies right now. So yep. you hear the news kind of, hey, um, there is an increase in cases and stuff like this. And you're like, well, okay, we don't really think that the U.S. is going to shut back down. So the biggest right. things that we're concerned, if you're a producer, is you know if you have an over-leveraged position on federal lands. Okay, so you might right. see the Biden administration put pressure there. Two is you might see um, OPEC decide to really open the floodgates and put more barrels in the market. Three is U.S. producers just not managing the market right, over overproducing 
Um, I think the ESG stuff is a little bit further down the road, but what right. do you think the risk? Because that's kind of your specialty. So what are the risks you think for oil and gas producers in the U.S. right now? And maybe those aren't really rankings, but just uh, would you agree with the assessment? Would you add some more or take away? Let you well, uh, you know, Ryan, uh, you and I have talked in the past about um, the world, and uh, I have a, a lot of uh, contacts around the world. And uh, when you take a look at OPEC and you take a look at Iran, uh, let me back up and just do a little bit of supply issues. China is just absorbing everything that they possibly can. Iran and China have a new uh, 25-year uh, agreement for them to supply oil, which is outside of OPEC plus uh, quotas. So you're taking all of this demand from one of the largest oil importers, which is going to affect everything else. And then you have uh, OPEC plus members that they're saying are actually producing within the guidelines, but they're not. Um, and then, so there's the supply issue going on. Then we have spoofing and doping going on. And that's something that I thought was left alone in college. And, uh, Josh, I don't know about you, but you know, when we were younger, spoofing and doping meant something younger or different, right? <laughs> so when they're, when Iran and Venezuela and all these others are trying to change the chemical nature of their, their shippings, all of this is impacting supply. Now, you throw it back over to the U.S. shale, and I think we are making a gigantic mistake by having regulations or other things taking away from our shale operators because there is going to be fluctuations in demand. Now, we're at, what, 62 today, I think? 63, what I saw. 63.30, yeah. Cool for our gang, guys. Josh and Ryan, what do you think about that price for folks getting back into drilling? It makes it a little easier, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It makes it easier. And so um, it, it, it's okay. So I think we all agree that if you can keep 60, if you told producers right now, you can lock in 63 for the next decade. Most of them would be happy, right? <laughs> absolutely. I think we're all be happy. So <laughs> Um, but I, I think that uh, one of the other impacts is um, uh, EMP operators have had to wake up and say, hey, I just can't continue to get money because money is dried up when you're taking a look at just you can't buy the um, or you can't keep putting money back into this you know, spill because you're declining uh, oil rates. You have your declining in production and then you got to put more capital and then you're raising money to pay down your capital. So that whole structure, Ryan, has got to change for our beloved EMPs in, in the oil. Uh, I think you're seeing that uh, this last year's shakeout. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and, and that brings me to something I wanted to ask you about because I know that you spend a lot of time working with companies about trying to you know um, mitigate risk for regulation. How many of these smaller companies have the appetite to really keep continuing to do the work as the regulations get rolled out? As, as I said, I don't think we're looking at the end of the industry this year, but as it just progresses, will we see a lot of these companies that go, you know what, it's just, it's just too dang much. It's too, too much risk. It's too much pain we're in the butt. Uh, what are you Abs oh, Ryan, you're right on the money there. And uh, we are helping. Uh, we have two different things that we're helping with. So we're in the middle of all these regulations and we have two different uh, scenarios. We have one for the larger operators we're working with, the, the 
the big boys. And then we have one for the smaller operators. So your question is dead on right. The smaller ones have less um, threshold. The larger ones are losing that. However, the regulations could, that are going national from Colorado, um, we're seeing that it is going to be something that is going to be probably good for weeding out the bad operators. It could be good for the environment if it's done properly. But Ryan, it's also going to affect all forms of energy. We're talking wind farms. We're talking anything with a, a bit of a current and it's going to affect it. So uh, the our oil and gas folks are not going to be just left alone. It's going to be all of energy with these regulations and those uh, Josh, have you seen some of the regulations out of uh, Colorado with Senate bill 181? Oh yeah. Yeah. We, we talked about that. We covered it last year and oh, yeah. right before you jumped on, I talked about, uh, there was a, a piece I had from E and E news and it just kind of covered some of the legislation that's going on in like 23 States. And yep. they're, they're trying to go to net zero, um, <laughs> standards as he said it differed from state to state but uh that's going to make it that's going to put a challenge on these oil and gas companies because they're going to be incentivizing the all these states to move to these renewables even though the fossil fuels providing cheaper cleaner better gas uh energy um yep. they're, they're going to continue to you know give these stimulus uh stimuluses to renewables so <laughs> um and, and i want to ask you guys something here are you all seeing this in, in something that I just find very funny? There's such the beating up of our wonderful oil industry, right? They're just saying, hey, it's, it's evil, get rid of oil. And I'm sitting here thinking, everything I've seen from BP, B, uh, all these others, the more green you go, the more oil you're going to use. Right. What, what are you thinking about that? I, well, it's, you know. At some point, you almost have to wonder how. Um, you remember the movie? Okay, you probably don't remember it, but there was a movie, <laughs> Cars Two. Um, after Cars One, he had Cars Two. It's an animated video uh, film for for kids, and so my kids have watched Cars One, so we watched Cars Two. And in Cars Two, the oil guys were the bad guys, if I remember correctly. Correctly, um, and you you know, it, I think in the oil and gas industry, we have a hard time kind of criticizing ourselves. And here's what I mean by that. You look at Exxon, Shell, or BP, and you go, oh, well, you know, they're kind of the big, big dogs. We want to support them. But, you know, if you look at big business in general and their ties to government, this was one of the biggest whiffs I remember hearing in 2016 was people were like, Rex Tillerson is a CEO. He's not a politician. No, no, no. The CEO yeah. of Exxon is a politician because he's dealing with world leaders all the time. And so we... Right. I think in the oil and gas industry, we have to be a little bit careful to try to, we want to back our industry, we want to back our own, but we also have to wonder, the big companies, I'm not entirely sure their interests are aligned with us, um, always as small guys. And so, you know, as you talk about going from green, you use more oil, it's like, they're not coming out and saying that though, right? They're kind of hiding yeah. that fact. And so we're the ones that, so when you talk about regulation, well, they have a thousand people to do regular regulatory issues. And so it doesn't really hurt them like it does the, the small guys. So I, I don't know how we get that message out there, Stu, and how we do it. We, we want to be careful. We want more people in the industry. We want a vibrant industry. 
But I think we had to question the motivation of the big players. I don't know if you'd agree with that or not. I'm curious your thoughts. I say, I say big players. I'm talking like the, the, the real, the, the top of the top. Well, I think you bring up about six good points, Ryan. And um, I think that the regulations for the big boys will help in many ways for them. Uh, and I think you nailed it that our uh, beloved uh, smaller folks are so important to our economy, to our local infrastructure, to our energy independence. Um, and I, the regulations are a nightmare. And that's where actually Sandstone has really teed it up for the next uh, thing to help out. Uh, really, not only the big boys, but we are really uh, helping out the small folks as well, too. And they don't have the team. So we've been able to help automate all the databases and, and everything else. Um, I just had a senior moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, Nancy, you mentioned the Colorado stuff. Why don't you refresh people what's going on in Colorado? And then while you're a little bit concerned about what's coming to New Mexico. Oh, you bet. Okay. Uh, Senate Bill 181. Uh, really took effect uh, in January and almost no new permits have been done. You have the big boys that are there and it's not the Senate is uh, the, the regulation is a bunch. And some of the primary is you cannot have anything within 2000 feet of a disturbed well area. And so of that disturbed well area, it's be, it is the regulations say that you have to have all of the information of the disproportionately impacted communities that are around that area. So if you take Weld County, um, I, th I have to throw this out. My team is going to do a fact check on me, but I believe it's around 43% of Weld County is in disproportionately impacted communities. Now, what that means is if you have internet, if you have what languages you speak, how many cars you have, and you have all of these kind of things, and any one of those check boxes, red flags, that whole community is now a um, a uh, disproportionately impacted community, and it affects how the outreach program goes for people, for the oil companies, to go out and say, well, in COVID, if they all have internet, they can now. Uh, say, hey, wait a minute, we can do a Zoom call and get all everybody's feedback on all this. And we're also finding out that it's, uh, let's say there's a, a company out there that has a water company and they're taking some money off or some oil out of it. Those rules apply. And Ryan and Josh, what just happened in, uh, I believe it's May 15th coming up, you have to have air uh, sensors, which the folks at um, Project AI and Project Canary are also going to be great to measure the air quality. Some of these things are good because flaring in the Permian has always been bad. I, I don't like flaring. So, you know, measuring the quality in the air is, is one of the few things that I like about all of this. So, that's what's being affected. Now, as that, uh, Ryan, as that rolls nationally, all of the Colorado rules, we know and have gotten confirmations, it has been presented to the Biden administration. And if you look at the Clean Air Act nationally, there is the same language that is going on between these. Now, as you roll over to New Mexico, we know that they are requiring 
you've you've hit on this a lot on your podcast on how important that money is to New Mexico. The oil and gas is critical to their budgets. I mean, they can't even make their payments without all of that. And the federal lands, it's not affecting the current uh, leases that are in effect. It's going to be the next ones coming up. So the regulations are now going to be impacting into the private lands and, and also mineral owners as well in New Mexico and in Colorado. So think about how much money that is going to be impacted as well. So in, in New Mexico, obviously in the southeastern portion of the state, it's mainly federal lands, BLM stuff, right? In the northwest right. portion, it's private, I believe. I think it's probably private lands up there. Yep. Right. Okay, so... We've talked about this on the show before. How do you think regula regulations, or you might know this answer, we don't, is, so if the state comes out and passes something like Senate Bill 180, uh, right. Mexico, does, will that automatically roll over to the BLM, or will the BLM be able to regulate itself, or vice versa? How, do you know how to how that works, or how to decipher that? Well, the way the Clean Air Act uh, has come up, and the language in the federal language that is now in place, and it's getting worse, it says that if there's any regulations at the local level that are tougher than the Clean Air Act, which they have some more from the DOE and also every all the other ones that are now interacting with everybody, um, it says that the most stringent regulation will be applied. So that means that we've seen fights already in uh, up in the Marcellus with local communities fighting against the state regulations, fighting against the federal, this is turning into a nightmare, Ryan and Josh. It is just unbelievable. So, so sorry, sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. This is, let me try and follow along. So like in Denton County, just kind of north where Josh and I are, you know, they're right. always trying to put on regulations. So yep. if I'm, are you saying that if Denton County passes resolutions, um, then the federal Air Act will allow, will solidify their, their resolutions. Um, we'll, we'll link it to the federal act now. Uh, yes. And if it's, uh, it means that if you are anything is tougher than the federal regulation or the local will apply, which means you just said it correctly. And that is, it's going to tie almost everything in the U S to federal. Holy smokes, Batman, as my team would say. <laughs> Josh, it sounds like an idea that you would have thought up. Yeah, what, yes, Batman I, or uh, tying everything to federal. <laughs> Josh, Josh loves big government. He's a big, big government guy. Oh, I am not. I'll let Ryan <laughs> lie to you. I'll let him lie to you. I <laughs> oh, see. So you, you like having more taxes. Oh, I like taxes. I like big industries squashing the little guys. Um, he thinks the CCP is too small. Just for perspective. <laughs> oh my goodness! Holy smokes! Um, the CCP, boy, I, that's a whole nother can of worms. And uh, when we start having regulations that kind of apply the same as the CCP, uh, Ryan, I know you're an expert on China. Um, then you become an expert on U.S. politics. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, that was funny. I don't get that. <laughs> <laughs> But go ahead, Josh. So, go ahead. Oh, sorry, Josh. Yeah, so I, I, we've been I've been following the the Colorado bill for a while, and the the I mean, it seemed like this quagmire was it should have been foreseen. Like I I think, yeah, I think the left and the people that were pushing this, they knew what they were doing. 
I, I think they oh, very man. much knew what they were doing and they tried to underplay it as much as they, as much as they could. Um, oh yeah. So I, the, all of these problems should have been seen by all the people that didn't understand it, but voted oh. for it because it was under the guise of, you know, being more responsible. Oh, oops. Um, yeah. Let me back up just a hair and let me say something that, um, is not contradictory, but it kind of sets the tone. So many U.S. policies across the nation do negatively impact our less fortunate uh, folks, the poor, the homeless, all of them. And so those regulations are not thought out correctly. But if you take some of the regulations in Senate Colorado, Senate Bill 181, and you take a look at some of the other regulations, they are good. Um, you know, the oil companies have uh, over since I've been around and have not done a good job policing things like flaring. I am not a flaring fan and, and flaring can be fixed if properly set in ahead of time. Now, when people on the left, people on the right, don't have good conversations about policies that impact the poor folk, the well-to-do folk, and everything else in between, and it's not a logical discussion, it's not good for anybody. So some regulations are good, most are bad. <laughs> yeah. Does that make sense? Now, you know, I think that this, real quick, I know it's the clock here, um, I think the problem when you look at regulations is it, there's, there's a regulatory side, but there's also the legal side, which we've made it so hard for you to defend yourself in court that that's really the biggest regulation. Oh. That no one wants. So a lot of times these things are pretty clear cut, right? Like, Hey, so company a did this and company, I want to go sue them, but I'm really poor. I don't have, I can't afford a high powered attorney and they're going to file right. motion after motion, after motion, after motion, after motion, and they're going to bleed me dry. And then I can't sue them. So really, I think the regulation that I would first start with is fixing the legal side, because that is really where the disadvantage is in my opinion. So, um, where can people find more about what you guys are doing? Where do you want to send them to? Uh, we'll let you do with that. Oh, hey, uh, we are at sandstonecg.com. Uh, I can be found on uh, LinkedIn, Stuart Turley on LinkedIn. And uh, I'm always trying to interact with you guys and uh, other podcasters as well. And then we have our podcast that we're rebranding and kicking out. Uh, they can also check us out on energynewsbeat.com. And like you said, download our app on uh, Apple and uh, Google, and uh, we're having some really strange success, Ryan and Josh. We just, we appreciate the additional uh, exposure on podcast. And as we get ours spun up, we want you guys to pop on over to ours as well, too. So Anytime. And um, yeah, be sure to check out the show. You can find it on YouTube. It's called the Energy News Beat. It's on YouTube, right? That's YouTube that is show. correct. You okay. bet. And Rumble. <laughs> Rumble's a goofy beast. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. It was good. Good talking to you again. Thank Sounds you for great, your guys. as always. And folks, be sure to check out Stu's work. We'll link to it in the show notes. All right, Mr. Shelton, what else we got for the show? Uh, we have two stories, Ryan. We have, uh, I mentioned BP struck oil uh, offshore Louisiana. They have a discovery in the Puma West prospect in the deep water U S Gulf of Mexico. That was on Tuesday. 
Uh, and then there were a couple uh, of things that are also listed in this article from Rig Zone. So we'll link that in the show notes. Uh, a couple of discoveries that they mentioned. And uh, there's also an interesting article here um, that we're going to also link. This one just has some information about renewables. Uh, so it's, it's just the title of the article is Renewables Dominate the Headlines, but Oil and Gas Remains King. Um, right now we're seeing a lot of the policies being pushed toward renewables, but, you know, the fossil fuels are kind of the, you know, underneath, you know, not getting much attention, but doing all the work. So, um, all right. Well, we will wrap it up there. And I will say that for any lawyer out there, we'd love to have you on. But I, I really think, Josh, that, the, that a lot of these problems are with the courts, right? If you want to go to, um, let's do someone, we've made it where it's just such a pain and the burden of proof is so wonky and the motions you can file um, and this, the standard of justice is, is so weird in our country that it, it really makes it a problem. And so you look at these poor communities, so just to unpack this a little bit, you know, if you have a plant that's in a poor community, it's pollutant. Who authorized the plant to be there? The legislators. Yeah. The government. Yeah, right. Yeah. So the government authorizes it. And then they're, then you're like, well, I want to sue them. Like, well, to sue them, you have to go through the, the government courts, which are fine. But you, you have government courts and all that. But like, you have to go through the government courts. And, oh, by the way, the government has instituted that you can do all these motions and all these problems. But but when you say that, so when you talk about when people criticize folks who are less regulation, this is these are some of the things that we talk about. It's like, well. They, they the, the 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 regulations disproportionately impact people who can't defend themselves. Like that's the point. Like that's that's the point. Yep. These new ones they might help in some regard, but ultimately they will probably have the same impact later on. So, um, but we'll see what happens and follow along for everyone else out there. Thank you, and until next time, keep climbing.